more than 7,000 rare diseases. There are so many that we're not able to treat. And understanding how SMA progresses and how we can prevent it and treating it at the earliest possible time point has really given hope to so many patients and families who, who know their loved ones are at risk of inheriting some kind of a, a neurologic disease. You're listening to the voice of Dr. Kathy Serboda, who is the Catherine M. Sims MD Endowed Chair in Neurogenetics and is Director of Neurogenetics Unit in the Center for Genomic Medicine at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Her research and clinical activities are dedicated to the diagnosis and treatment of inherited motor disorder of childhood onset, with a particular focus on genotype-phenotype studies documenting onset and the timing of progressive denervation in infant with spinal muscular atrophy, also known as SMA. She collaborated closely with Cure SMA in helping to obtain critical data necessary to support the addition of SMA to newborn screening recommended universal screening panel. And with the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network, also known as MBSTRN, to help build tools suitable for the use for newborn screening follow-up for infant with SMA. In this episode, Dr. Kathy Sabota would describe the important research that led to newborn screening for spinal muscular atrophy, also known as SMA, and how different interventions are impacting the lives of newborns with SMA. Dr. Sabota has played a significant role in getting SMA to be added to the recommended uniform screening panel, also known as RUS. And her journey from a clinician to a researcher is truly inspiring. So listen on. Hello, this is the Newborn Screening Spotlight. This podcast is about the advancement of rare disease research told by health professionals, researchers, parents, and advocates. This podcast is for you to learn how newborn screening research saves the lives of babies every day through the discovery of new technology and treatment. You will hear stories from experts who treat babies, the families who care for them, and the researchers who make it all happen. We are your co-hosts. I am Dr. Ki Chan. And I'm Dr. Amy Brower. We're from the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network, also known as the MBSTRN. Our work is supported by one of the institutes at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, called the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, also known as NICHD. Dr. Chan and I are from the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, also known as ACMG, and ACMG leads the MBSTRN. Screening babies saves lives every day, and research advances newborn screening by developing new technologies to screen, diagnose, and treat. MBSTRN helps accelerate research by creating tools, resources, and expertise for researchers, doctors, families, patients, and advocates. To learn how you can help advance newborn screening research, advocate for rare disease screening and treatment, and learn about important discovery, become a member of the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network by visiting our website at www.mbstrn.org. Dr. Serboda, we're so happy to have yeah. you part of our podcast series and your experience in this area. Could you tell us what is spinal muscular atrophy, also known as SMA? 
Spinal muscular atrophy is one of the more common rare disorders that occurs in about 1 in 11,000 babies born in the U.S. SMA affects the motor neurons in the spinal cord, meaning that the most severe symptom is muscle weakness. And babies born with the gene for SMA present with floppiness, decreased movement, and then ultimately, if they aren't treated, have progressive muscle weakness, respiratory failure, and die prematurely uh, without support. There are milder forms of SMA that can affect children or even adults, and those disorders generally present with progressive muscle weakness and can occur almost any point in the, life, in the lifespan. But most people who are diagnosed with SMA will present in infancy or early childhood. In a previous podcast episode titled Getting on a List, Dr. Amy Brown talked about the nomination process. Dr. Shibota, could you expand on the nomination process for SMA? Yes. Um, you know, I, I think um, in, the, in the U.S., there's a, uh, a system of evidence review. Um, a disorder has to be nominated formally, but it can be nominated by anyone. The way I became aware of how this process occurred was actually by partnering with Families of SMA, now, now Cure SMA, but was called Families of SMA at the time. I partnered with them initially with other clinicians and scientists to put in an initial nomination uh, for newborn screening for SMA. Our first nomination was rejected, but that rejection actually clearly gave us feedback that, that, that provided the pathway to take us forward to a successful nomination uh, a few years down the line because there were very clear criteria that were outlined for what we needed to have in a, in a successful nomination. But anyone can nominate a specific disorder and ask for an evidence review. The most successful ones, however, are, you know, involve partnerships between families, scientists, clinicians, uh, and multiple stakeholders in the newborn screening uh, area who really understand what's needed to take um, a disease forward to newborn screening. You and your research were involved in SMA being recommended to the nationwide newborn screening. Can you describe this experience to our listeners? Yes, sure. I'd, I'd love the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, SMA um, was one of the most um, heart-wrenching disorders I I you know, had experience to see in my training in neurology. And it's uh, 25 years ago when I first started seeing babies with SMA, I just, we had to uh, watch these babies have progressive weakness and there was really nothing we could offer them. Eventually we got better at providing supportive care, but still these families had to watch their infant or child get progressively weaker and there was nothing we could do to treat it. You know, after I finished my genetics training, I, I um, and started my first faculty position, I began to see many more families um, with SMA. The families were incredibly supportive of each other, and I had the opportunity to uh, learn more about this disease and see how the families supported each other and provided help to each other. And it took another 15 years while the families tried to deal with all of the problems these babies had on their own, the swallowing problems, the breathing problems, that they were able to help support these babies, but we still had no treatments available. During my genetics training, though, I had the opportunity to spend uh, quite a bit of time in with my metabolism colleagues and, and uh, do some biochemical genetics training. And 
One of the most inspiring stories that I saw there was phenylketonuria. Babies that used to have a a progressive neurodegenerative disease were able to go on a special diet from birth via a simple newborn screening test, and it was able to completely prevent that special diet alone was able to completely prevent the progressive neurologic disease. And it got me thinking about SMA, you know, was there anything we could do to, to sort of prevent progression in this disease? And it was about this time that I took my first faculty job in Utah that I began to see babies in larger families where I saw them from the day or two after birth. We knew that they were likely to have SMA based on the genetic testing. I saw that these babies were normal and they appeared to have um, normal development in the, in the first couple of weeks of life. And then only after that had progressive weakness. Um, and and lost their muscle tone and and uh, ultimately uh, died. Having seen the success in newborn screening for uh, PKU and other disorders on, in my genetics training, I, I was really inspired by other clinicians who were doing work in in other new disorders that were being proposed for newborn screening uh, in my early years as a faculty member uh, out in Utah. And um, one of those disorders was, was uh, Pampa disease or um, some people pronounce it Pompe disease, where it's a, it has a, a lot of similar characteristics to SMA in that these babies are, are born relatively normal, but very quickly in the first few months of life have progressive weakness and low tone, heart involvement, and ultimately die without treatment. Uh, and a new enzyme therapy became available. And I, and I sort of watched my genetics colleagues pave the path. I, I watched what did it take to sort of work with the scientific community to understand the treatment options? What did it take to work with the newborn screening um, community and public health community and trying to get this accepted for newborn screening? And I began to learn uh, more and more about that. Um, and I realized that um, in as we started to get more promising therapies and animal models for SMA, that SMA really was an ideal candidate for newborn screening because it was a uh, for, for many reasons, it was a relatively common um, rare disorder in that one in eleven thousand babies were born, so that there was a um, there was an opportunity to um, in each state to identify a number of these babies per year, um, and that there were new treatments coming forward um, that were very very promising, and that finally these babies were born looking um, normal or close to normal in the majority of cases, and therefore. We had the opportunity as clinicians, if there was an effective treatment, to take that all the way um, to newborn screening and early diagnosis and treatment like um, the physicians had done several decades before for PKU. And um, it, I think it was my neurology training that, that really sort of made me realize there, that there were so many disorders that once they had progressive disease, that it was too late to treat them and that we really needed to to take SMA to newborn screening to get the maximum benefit. So approximately 10 years before we even had therapies that were entering clinical trials, I, I really had this in my mind that SMA was, was really a perfect disorder and that, it, if, um, that part of my career was going to be um, trying to find a way to get treatment to these babies uh, before the neurologic uh, disease started to progress. Well, thank you so much for sharing this experience, Dr. Sabota. You work with many families. 
So how have families you work with been impacted by the addition of SMA to nationwide newborn screening? So um, jumping ahead, um, you know, to the past um, three years or so, um, it, you know, newborn screening and the ability to provide treatments that work for SMA um, it has completely transformed the field. Uh, and I think um, watching these families um, have the opportunity to treat and get treatments for their children before the disease progresses um, has, has really opened my eyes to, you know, the power of these, of, of these new treatment approaches for neurologic diseases. I mean, it's, it's been truly transformative to, to imagine a baby being born that 20 years ago would have died before the age of two and to see that child a similar child now receiving treatment from the first week or two of life and, and being able to achieve motor milestones on time, sitting and walking and ultimately running, you know, that, that's truly the most transformative event that, you know, I've witnessed in my career is this devastating disease going from a death sentence in infancy uh, to, um, you know, as close to a cure as you can get. No treatment is perfect, and these treatments aren't perfect, and we're still learning a lot, but there are certainly many, many babies being born now with SMA across the U.S. and elsewhere that are receiving these treatments and achieving uh, motor milestones as expected. That's a true joy. It's a celebration. As you said, there is the importance of early identification, which can lead to treatment by newborn screening. What are some current interventions for individuals with SMA? So right now in the U.S., we have three um, FDA-approved therapies. They all work, which, which is truly phenomenal. We have a therapy that has to be delivered via uh, an injection into the spinal fluid, and that is an antisense oligonucleotide-based therapy, meaning that a small, short chain of nucleic acids is injected, that's slightly modified, is injected into the spinal fluid, a, a lumbar puncture, a spinal tap. These babies are treated. It, it, these, um, these, this molecule gets into the cells and actually raises the SMN protein levels. The second therapy is an actual uh, gene therapy um, that was approved now two years ago. And that therapy is given um, by an intravenous, a single intravenous infusion that is given through a peripheral vein to, to a newborn or a young infant ideally. Third therapy is a, an oral splicing therapy, which is a small molecule that crosses through the gut into the blood, across the blood-brain barrier, and is able to work at the level of the messenger RNA, uh, which is the step between the, the DNA and the protein to raise the SMN protein levels that way. And SMN protein levels are what is deficient in SMA when um, the, the survival motor neuron gene, the gene that's deleted for SMA, is, is um, missing. Thank you for sharing with us all the different current interventions for patients with SMA. Dr. Sabota, you are a clinician and a researcher. Why is newborn screening research for SMA important? So I think, um, I think SMA in particular has shown us uh, the success in being able to treat such a devastating neurologic, rapidly progressive neurologic disorder like SMA has really given hope uh, for a host of uh, progressive neurologic disorders. Um, 
you know, there are, you know, more than 7,000 rare diseases. There are so many that we're not able to treat. And understanding how SMA um, progresses and how we can prevent it uh, and treating it at the earliest possible time point has really given hope to so many patients and families who, who know their loved ones are at risk of inheriting some kind of a, a neurologic disease. Um, and um, there, there are many neurologic diseases um, that don't have therapies yet. Um, one of the um, important things that we've learned about SMA is that, you know, therapies can still be helpful even though a patient has already developed the disease. Um, so it, it doesn't slow down our interest in finding treatments for patients who already have symptoms. But when you see the difference um, being able to treat a baby uh, before they've developed symptoms and the difference is in outcomes, being able to avoid pain and suffering that they would have to go through for spinal procedures or for orthopedic surgeries or for a feeding tube or um, being able to, to give them a chance to run around on the playground. You know, that's, that, as I said, is a transformative experience and gives hope to so many other families with rare disorders out there. The only way that we can make progress in moving something towards newborn screening is by doing research. And I think one of the biggest challenges in getting newborn screening for SMA was getting people to understand the importance of identifying it early. Many people don't want to know, you know, about something bad that might happen in the future if they can't do anything about it. So it's really important when we're thinking about research for newborn screening to think about all of the issues that might arise when you identify a neurologic disease early before any symptoms and signs have occurred. That process of, of doing the research, talking to the families who already have children affected by the disease, talking to families who don't have any child affected by SMA or any other disease to make them understand what is newborn screening, and then trying to bring together that research in a real-world setting where we introduce pilot studies for newborn screening, that's the mechanism um, one step at a time that we have to take as we're developing these new therapies at the same time. Because truly, um, until we have an effective therapy, even if it's not purely um, a curative therapy, we, we have to have a, a very effective therapy in place um, in order to justify um, getting something added to the recommended uniform screening panel. And I think that was the toughest thing for me to understand as a researcher, trying to understand the difference between um, scientific studies in the laboratory, which are practical and, and theoretical, versus the reality of identifying a baby who has a change in DNA that might predict a future event in, in the real world scenario. And, and I, think, I think the complexity of our public health system, but also the success of our public health system, you know, really depends on everyone working together to minimize the risks and to maximize the benefits so that every baby for which there's a treatment available can be identified early and get that treatment in a meaningful way before it's too late. Thank you for sharing that. And being a member of the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network, I agree that we are here to help advance newborn screening research. And for listeners out there, there are a lot of tools, resources, and expertise that we can provide. Uh, Dr. Sabota, 
How has NBRSTN helped your research in SMA? You know, NBSTRN has helped in so many ways from the very beginning of the project. Uh, just as an example, you know, NBSTRN was the first to help organize a, a, a repository of dried blood spots from states where families had agreed to donate um, anonymized samples for actually trying to make sure that the assays that we were going to develop to use on the blood spots collected from babies worked. Um, and then um, the NBSTRN had a, had so many different work groups that helped to address um, many different challenges that we face in newborn screening, the ethical uh, challenges and questions that arise, the legal and social implications, the scientific questions, and, and then perhaps most importantly, how do we bring together all of the different stakeholders uh, from families to physicians to laboratory screening people. I didn't understand so much of, of what, what was um, involved in newborn screening as a simple naive clinician as I, when I first started out. You know, I thought everyone would agree it's, it's such an important thing to do research on rare disorders like SMA. Why wouldn't we just add it, you know, to the screening for the blood spot? And it, it took me a long time and a lot of education um, by participating in these many work groups and opportunities to, to really understand the complexity of the issues and how important it was to have that work together progressively to, to address issues as they came up and to tackle really challenging problems. I would say that one of the most frustrating things that happened during our, our quest to get SMA added to the recommended uniform screening panel was when um, Congress... Um, you know, added a change to the language that was required for the consent language, uh, which um, for pilot studies. And uh, we had to rethink the entire approach to how we were going to um, uh, get families to consent um, and give them the information they needed to consent to do a pilot study um, with, when there wasn't broad education about that particular disorder across the general population. So all of these um, many tasks and, and many different people, NBSTRN helped to bring all of those stakeholders together across a number of different platforms over many years to, to help ensure the success of this project. I'm so glad to hear how NBSTRN has helped you and other stakeholders to get involved with research, newborn screening research. And what career advice could you give to someone interested in being a clinician researcher like yourself? I think there are so many ways to be a clinician researcher. It really, I think that one of the things that um, was really powerful in my career, a powerful driving force, was being able to pursue um, training in uh, genetics and genomics um, in addition to my neurology training because genetics and genomics has become such an amazing tool for diagnosis and treatment approaches, has really facilitated the diagnosis of so many more rare patients over time. And my pathway um, to research, you know, really depended on having mentors along the way. Uh, in particular, uh, during my um, genetics fellowship training, I had a wonderful PhD mentor, Alan Beggs, who really, you know, helped expose me to some of the critical thinking that you have to have when you're designing research projects and implementing genetic studies um, and working with families um, to, to, uh, to do the studies that we do that go from 
the clinic to the laboratory and back. So I think mentorship is very important, having a passion, finding a really exciting question that, that you really want to answer, um, and then seeing where it takes you. I, I think there's no wrong direction. I started out as an adult neurologist and ended up becoming a pediatric geneticist along the way and getting involved in newborn screening. So I think there's many different ways to achieve success as a clinician researcher, and I've been, you know, incredibly lucky at every turn to have the opportunities I have to work in this field. Dr. Sabota, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your career path, and your passion in newborn screening research and SMA. As we're coming in close to our interview, I'd like to end with our signature question to our guests. What does newborn screening research mean to you? So to me, uh, newborn screening research means the opportunity to develop and see implemented in real life uh, transformative treatments of bad neurologic diseases. To me, that's the most exciting part of, of my job as a neurologist now is seeing new treatments come to fruition and um, uh, that, that's the joy that I, I take from my job now. Well, thank you so very much, Dr. Shibota, for being a part of our podcast series and the wonderful work that you've been a part of. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Thank you for listening to this episode of Newborn Screening Spotlight. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and share an episode with your colleagues, friends, and family. Get involved. Stay informed. Help us advance discoveries. Together, Together let's, let's increase, increase the, the impact, impact of newborn screening research by listening to, to your stories. stories.